Welcome into the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside my co-host, World B, Michael Freer. And this is episode number 41, the Dirk Nowinski episode. And tonight, we are thrilled to be rejoined by a good friend of the show and former NBA general manager, coach, and player, Dave Wool. Welcome back, Dave. And when you hear the name Dirk Nowinski, what immediately comes to mind for you? You know, I think of uh, an all-around player and an innovator, because if you think of the way he used his size, even though he wasn't a great athlete, explosive speed, you know, off the one-legged dirt move and the thing, he he punished guys that were smaller than him. And, mm-hmm. you know, he just had a fabulous career, but I think he was always a thinking man's player. How can I get an advantage in a matchup or on the court? You know, he kept working on his shooting and everything else. I had just a terrific career. Absolutely agree with you. I think he's the best seven-foot shooter of all time, in my opinion, despite what Carl Anthony Towns has recently said <laughs> in uh, prior All-Star weekends. But uh, um, appreciate appreciate that. And uh, just a quick reminder to all our listeners, Bet Online is a proud sponsor of the podcast and our home to all sports bets. BetOnline.ag is your number one source for all your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports for this year's pro basketball playoffs. BetOnline is always your sports information headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all your sports wagering needs. Basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, right to UFC and boxing. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your own home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on all the action. Be sure to use our promo code BLEAV, that is B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And with that, let's start things off with our opening tips. And World B, I'll leave it to you. Thank you, Ross. Uh, Since I didn't have the opportunity to reflect on the renewal of the Knicks-Heat rivalry last week before the series began, I'm going to use my opening thought on what this rivalry means for this Knicks fan who experienced these playoff matchups during the late 90s and early 2000s. Now, there are some that may say this rivalry was born the day Pat Riley faxed in his resignation to the Knicks in 1995 and took over down in Miami. For me, that is where the hatred began. Where the rivalry really began was in Game 5 of 1997 Eastern Conference semifinals when P.J. Brown recklessly tossed Charlie Ward, flipped him around, and causing a full-scale brawl, which ended up resulting in so many player suspensions for the Knicks that they had to scatter them. The league had to scatter them over the next few games in order to fill out a roster. Miami ended up coming back from a 3-1 deficit and winning that series. The only time as a Knicks fan that I can remember when I really felt like a series was really taken away from from you know, my team, other than just being one on the court. But from then on, in 1998, then 1999, then 2000, well, winning an NBA championship was always a goal for Knicks fans or whatever. Being able to knock Miami out of the postseason on their home court each year, by the way, that meant the season wasn't a total loss for us. These series during those years represented the rarest of rivalries that you can have in this sport is when you're playing for the championship of each other. 
neither Miami's win over New York in 2012 in the playoffs or this current series brings about the hatred from the crowds in the 90s, especially at MSG when a Riley Chucks sucks chant was sometimes sounded louder than the traditional defense defense chant. This current series may go seven games. It may feel it feels like it may go seven games at this stage. And it may turn out to be the best series of the whole playoffs. I mean, who really knows? But no matter what the outcome, Nixon three, the noise in the crowd in Manhattan or South Beach over the next 10 days will never be the same or match the matchups from the early 90s and 2000s when just beating the other teams felt like the season was a success. Well said there will be, and I know this one is definitely a personal series for you. And uh, I certainly think this definitely could be uh, amongst the best second round series we have going at the moment. I think we're seeing a incredible chess match between two great coaches and Tom Thibodeau and Eric Spolstra. So we'll have to stay tuned. Dave, you got an opening tip here tonight? Yeah, my opening is pretty simple. You know, the the way Pat Riley and the Heat, I was I was there for their first year as an assistant coach. You know, the way we measure success is not just the inner team rivalries. It's when you look up on the ceiling of your arena and you see how many championship flags there are. And I think, unless my memory serves me wrong, the Miami Heat now has three, and the Knicks still have two that they won back in the early 70s before anybody knew of a three-point shot or anything else. So I guess if I was a lawyer, I would just rest my case. But no, Michael gives a, he gives a great history of, of the relationships. And, you know, the, the two teams are very competitive. They've had great coaches. And, and the image that always remains in my mind um, is Jeff Van Gundy holding on to, I think it was Zoe's leg and Zoe's dragging him like across the floor. I mean, when you talk about a rivalry, that's the picture in the, the dictionary, you know, that's yeah. going to come up. But um, two teams that that really need a win, I think, in the playoffs that want to go further. I, I think New York has done a great job retooling their team. I thought the Brunson deal was as close to a felony as you could get. And I just think this this series should be a really close-fought series. Yeah, and uh, that felony was actually ruled a uh, tampering, uh, if, if yes. you may remember. So they definitely uh, did get away with a little bit of a crime there. But uh, totally agree there as far as this one being a historic matchup. As for my opening tip uh, earlier this afternoon, the Milwaukee Bucks ultimately decided to relieve their head coach, Mike Budenholzer, after a season in which Coach Bud led the team to the best record in the NBA. I think this was obviously a strong possibility after how things went for Milwaukee in the first round versus the Miami Heat. But boy, did the decision get made quite quickly and uh, was kind of surprised to see it come today. Of course, you never know when that kind of news would drop, but I definitely wanted to open this kind of up to a quick discussion here before we get to our first quarter. And uh, Dave, being our former front office executive and coach, uh, were you surprised by the news just based on the fabulous season the Bucks had? Uh, not really surprised. You know, their their goal is to win a championship. And I, I think as good as uh, Coach Bud had had brought that team up over the last couple of years, they won a championship, their first one, and I don't know how many years, probably back to, you know, the 70s. Um, yep. You know, there were a couple of mistakes that were pointed out in the, the last minute or two of that game and, that they lost. And, you know, unfortunately, we do our jobs in front of 
not only 20,000 people in the stands, but in front of the media, in front of the cameras, you, you, you know, someone who's a bank teller might be able to hide when they press the wrong button, but, but you can't. And I think there was just an overwhelming feeling that they needed uh, maybe a new voice, um, maybe just a new approach. Uh, I think it's really difficult when you've had that much success with a team to, to be let go because that's what everybody's striving for. And you look at coaches who've struggled more and they've got a couple more year, years left where they're going to stay in that job. So, yeah, it's difficult, but it wasn't, to me, unexpected. I, I thought the media was pouncing on it. And, um, you know, the fact that it came so quickly, I don't know if this was something that was thought about beforehand internally among their, their owners or staff that, hey, if we don't win, we probably have to make a change. Gotcha. Well, B, what about you? What was your instant reaction to hearing the news? Uh, kind of like you, Ross, I was uh, surprised it happened as quickly as it did. Not surprised it happened. Uh, I commented after uh, the game five loss, you know, when they did not call a timeout at the end of regulation, and then they let, left two timeouts on the table in overtime. I commented, I think I tweeted out that I don't know if the Miami or Milwaukee, excuse me, thought that perhaps you could uh, – use those timeouts as mulligans on the golf course, you know, as, <laughs> as reasons why they would possibly do that. Um, I think, you know, I've always thought he was a good coach. I thought he was a good coach in Atlanta. If you look at his teams in Atlanta, when he had talent, when he had talent in, in Atlanta, he had some of the best defensive teams in the league. I mean, top 10, top five for years. So it wasn't a surprise when he got some talent in Milwaukee that he was able to turn them into such a good defensive team. Uh, this isn't unprecedented. The Raptors had to make a, a decision like this with uh, Dwayne Casey years ago. And they turned around, they got the right guy. They brought in Kawhi Leonard, which obviously makes it, a lot of coaches look good. In there, and uh, turned around and won a championship that way. So it's not unprecedented. Uh, it, like I said, it wasn't a complete surprise. I think we all thought something was going to happen. I don't know, you know, during the NBA playoffs was the right time to do it but when is the right time you know if you go if you know you're gonna make a decision you do it as quickly as you can i thought yeah. one other thing too that you got to give him credit for actually two things is is one the development of Giannis, because yep. i think you take a guy who when he came in as a rookie you know there was just all gangly arms and legs and he was just learning how to play and now he you know he wins an mvp he wins a title and also resurrecting Brooke Lopez's career from a, really a low post center that nobody thought could make a jump shot more than 12 feet, brings him out, puts him on the perimeter, gets him focused more defensively where he turns into really a, a rim protector and other things. So those two things, I don't think you can, you can just gloss over. Those were two dramatic things that helped them win. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think I agree with you, Dave. I think it's more so just getting a new voice in in the uh, the locker room for this team after such a disastrous uh, playoff run this year. Um, but, you know, he was there five years, obviously won them the title. He was the coach when Giannis won his first MVP. So definitely don't think this is Bud's last stop. I certainly think uh, he'll be uh, someone who will either be hired this year or next year if he decides to take a year off since he does have that guaranteed contract year. But, you know, one other thing I wanted to get to real quick here is just for those keeping track at home, the 2019 championship coach of the Toronto Raptors, Nick Nurse, was let go. 
The 2020 championship coach, Frank Vogel, was let go, took the year off this year, and I believe he is now entering his name into some of these open job positions. And now the 2021 championship coach and Mike Budenholzer let go. So all still, all three are still available on this open coaching market. And, you know, real quickly here, Dave, I mean, is this something new or was this something going on back in the day? I mean, just having been a player and been fortunate enough to been around the league so long, is this new territory, just seeing those type of resumes and so recent championship wins out available or has this always been going on and I just forgot about it? No, I just I just think one of the internal jokes sometimes coaches get when they get together and they see somebody fired in this instance, it's like, geez, don't win a title. The worst thing in the world, <laughs> win a title, you're out of here, you know. Yeah. Just go 500 and you're you're there for a couple more years. But, yeah. you know, it all depends on ownership. I, I, I think, you know, some, some people stay with um, – one of the things I think Riley said, and I think he said in an article recently – but Pat, when I worked with him, he he was a big he still is. He's a huge believer in culture and culture kind of allows you to not react to you lost a couple more games. You didn't win this that year. You didn't win that this year because your culture is going to carry you through and it's something to believe in and fall back on. So Pat doesn't overreact to many things. You know, he's got a culture. He wants the players that can build on that culture. Um, I think it's one of the reasons, you know, the Heat won three championships. All those expansion teams that came in around the same time, Toronto won one, Orlando's never won one, um, Charlotte's never won one, um, and Minnesota's never won one. But I think that's one of the things that allows you to step back a little bit. Um Popovich in, in San Antonio, you know, they've won a bunch of championships and then they've had some years where they didn't, but he never overreacts. You know, he knows mm-hmm. who he is as a coach. He knows the type of people he wants in the organization. And so I think a lot of it just depends on the ownership and the, and the front office mindset too. Good points there. And uh, as we get to our first quarter here, let's talk about the Western Conference playoff matchups. And we'll start with the game going on right now as we are taping. That is game two of the Warriors-Lakers series that is currently underway. And Dave, I don't know about you, but you know I believe this Lakers team matches up extremely well against the reigning champion Golden State Warriors. Uh, last show, I had predicted the Lakers to win the series in six. Certainly looked like they definitely have a chance to do that after how they played in game one. And uh, just wanted to get your thoughts on, on the matchup. And do you have any major concerns on how the Warriors plan on trying to disrupt Anthony Davis's play? Uh, well, the first thing I thought coming out of the Sacramento series, that was a really terrific series. And it was yes. very fast paced by both teams. And I actually thought the first game, the Laker Warrior first game, I thought Golden State needed another day or two off to really kind of recover from that. I thought they were a step behind on loose balls, a step behind on some reactions defensively. Um, One of the things that's interesting is that they have to figure out how to deal with is the the Lakers blocked 10 shots in game one. And I thought that was a huge factor. And I actually went back in and looked at the Sacramento stats and the two games that Sacramento won by their most points – they blocked 11 shots and eight shots. The other games, they blocked like three. And one of the things with Draymond Green and Looney, who are key pieces for them, is Looney had seven offensive rebounds. They can get offensive rebounds, but against AD and and some of the others, they can't finish when they get an offensive rebound right there. So I, I couldn't find a stat that said how many offensive rebounds that 
um, the Lakers scored on or that the uh, Warriors scored on. But I thought that threw them off. And the second thing is they got into the paint. Uh, I think they're, I have a stat here somewhere. They were seven for 24 in the paint. And I think a lot of that had to do with AD, LeBron, Vanderbilt, everybody who could block a shot. All of a sudden, some of the layups they would get against Sacramento because Sabonis wasn't a big shot block at all. They weren't getting, and AD made some phenomenal blocks just on a couple of drives, Curry on one, I think, uh, you know, Poole on another. So I think they've got to figure out a way how they're going to score besides just shooting threes. And that's one thing. I thought defensively, they have to figure out how to hold AD to maybe just a normal game <laughs> rather than what <laughs> had the other night. But they, they gave up, I thought, too much off the dribble penetration. You know, I don't know if they – the, the Lakers didn't shoot well from the three-point line. So to me, I'd make them try and shoot more threes. It doesn't mean you're just standing there waving at them, but the closeouts would be under control so they can't break you down off the dribble. See if they're they, – I think they shot six for 24 or six for 25 from the threes in the first game. So I think they've got to realign what they're trying to give up defensively and, and what they want to allow the Lakers to try and do. Um, the other thing I thought was um, I'd like to see Golden State play at a faster pace. You know, see if they can get the ball up court quicker, even if the Lakers have scored. Get it in, get it up before the Lakers get to set their defense before AD may be in position. May Key and LeBron have to run quicker, go back, yep. make it a little more of a stamina contest. Um, so we'll see in this game if, you know, they can accomplish some of that. And World B, what was your big takeaway from uh, game one? And uh, I know you're a big Anthony Davis guy. You've been watching him all year, tracking kind of uh, – his play and especially his shot selection. If you were the Warriors, what would you try to do to slow him down? Well, the, the dilemma for the Warriors is while they have, we were all talking before the series about Kavon Looney being able to go rebound or inside with AD. Well, the fact is that Kavon Looney can't guard him. Yeah. And, or he couldn't in game one. I shouldn't say he can't. He couldn't, certainly couldn't in game one. And putting Draymond on, your best defense player on AD certainly is a benefit for AD. He can shoot over him. So it's a real tough matchup for for the Warriors defense. Uh, I think I, I agree with Dave. I, I think getting inside is a big deal for the Warriors, who were actually, for all their three-point stuff that we give them credit for, they were a really good shooting team in the restricted area. They shot almost yes. 70%. They were one of the league leaders. Now, they didn't take as many because their game is predicated on threes. But when they get inside, they can really do damage. And having AD in the middle, we saw it in, in game two for a little bit. AD would not guard his guy, Draymond. He was on Draymond for a couple possessions. Draymond would have it out on the wing or at the top of the key, and AD stayed back. Draymond, made on one possession, made a great pass in the post to a cutter, and AD was right there to block it away. And he's not having a good game right now offensively, but he's still being a factor on defense. Uh, I I don't disagree with Dave as far as wanting to get the pace up and down if you're the Warriors. I wonder, though, because that is also the kind of pace that the Lakers have loved to play this year. They've been transition, fast breaks. They're one of the top fast break teams in the league. Can they hold up against the Lakers if they play that pace? While it may benefit the Warriors on one end, is it a detriment on the other? Because defensively, it's, it's been a slippery slope with the Warriors this year, um, home and roads particularly. Right. Uh, 
Yeah, I think as far as I go, I think this series hinges on AD. I think it's Anthony Davis. Is he he can be the best player on not only on the court in this series, he can be the best player in the league when he's yeah. healthy and good Mind 30, 30 and 20 or 23 the other night with a bunch of blocks. Who else in the league is doing that right now? There's there's nobody in the league that's pulling that stunt. And AD has that head ability. Now let's see what happens tonight. Let's see going forward because so far this playoffs, it's been good AD, bad AD. Good AD, yeah. bad AD. So you got to get the consistency out of them. And if you do, well, the Lakers have championship aspirations for sure. Yeah, I totally agree there. And uh, one thing I like from Steve Kerr is he dusted off uh, the warm-ups of Jamichael Green and inserted him into that game one. I know he's playing again here in game two as Kevon right. Looney. I think it's limited to like 20 minutes due to an illness, which is unfortunate for the Warriors. But, you know, I think he can hopefully hold AD a little bit more accountable, keep him honest about defending on the perimeter because Jermichael can go ahead and stretch that floor as a stretch five. So um, we'll have to definitely keep an eye on that. But uh, I'm in total agreement with the both of you with Anthony Davis. It's 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 if they can stop him, they've got a chance. If they cannot stop him, I, I they might finish this out in five. I By mean, the way, it, real quick, uh, I just thought about this while you were talking in your opening a statement about Coach Bud, and you mentioned all the previous championship coaches. I mean, being let go, is this all of a sudden a must win series for Steve Kerr? This trend, I'd hate to see him get fired based off your trend here. I mean, you got you know, Nick Nurse, Frank Vogel, now Bud. I mean, last year's coach is he going to be out the door all of a sudden? I mean, I well, you know, the other thing I said was it depends on the ownership. Oh, I think yeah, your ownership, right, yeah. Yeah. Steve is the right guy. <laughs> You know, they wouldn't have been halfway to what they've accomplished in the last, you know, five or six years if Steve hadn't have been there. So I think he's safe. Okay. <laughs> All right. And with that, let's look at the Suns Nuggets series as things shift to Phoenix with Denver with a commanding lead of 2-0. But, Dave, I wanted to get your opinion. This is a quote I've used on this show multiple times throughout the playoffs. But I'm a true believer in what – uh, Pat Riley once said, a series doesn't start until the home team loses. Uh, would you agree with that? And do you think Phoenix can pull off a game three victory and kind of put things back in order for them to have chances in the series? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a big Denver fan in this one. And um, okay. with, especially with Chris Paul getting injured and we don't know how long he'll be out. You know, I was with the Clippers when Chris was there. And with the exception of, I think, our 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 year in 2015 when we first beat the Spurs, I think Chris has gotten hurt in almost every playoff, except maybe the first one he was in with Phoenix after he signed with or got there. And it, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why, but he always gets, it's a little injury. Sometimes it's a hand, a knee, whatever. But um, without Chris, I think it's going to be much harder because one of the things that's happening to Phoenix too, is they're shooting so bad from the three point line. I think they're, 13 for 54 from the three-point line, 24%. And, you know, I, I think you're getting points from Booker, obviously, and Durant, but I, I don't know I don't know where else they'll get points from. Now Chris isn't going to be there to run the team. I just think this is Denver's moment. I, I really do. I, I know they've had some disappointments in the past. Usually if you're going to be a championship team, those things toughen you up. They make you a little more yeah. resilient and I just think Jokic is an out-of-the-world player when Murray can throw 34 on one night and then not much on the next night, but you have other guys who can pick up the slap, 
I like Aaron Gordon playing the way he's playing. Um, you know, I, I just think it's Gen, uh, Denver's Denver's time. I think they're going to get to the Western Conference Finals. Will be uh, you giving the Suns any chances here as things shift back to the Valley? Uh, I give them a chance. I mean, I how how can you not give uh, KD and Booker a chance? Uh, but they absolutely have to step up their play. I mean, they have to put Jimmy Butler type numbers. You know, KD is going to have to almost not like that. Make him he's the guy who can be uh, the most unstoppable, the best player in the league in this series if he you know gets that ability. He's going to have to put up some big time numbers. They've really broken down in the fourth quarter. Uh, they had a really bad fourth quarter. Phoenix did the other night. Uh, that really, you know, took a tight game and turned into a, a one-sided uh, Denver victory. Uh, I think the Nuggets are a team, and we've talked about it before this playoffs. They're playing with it somehow. Being the best team in the West, they're still playing with a chip on their shoulder, a legitimate chip on their shoulder. By the way, it's it's nobody. You know how many. Uh, experts or prognosticators gave the Nuggets a chance. It was the Suns. It was maybe the Clippers. It was the Grizzlies. It was all these other, it was the Warriors. It was all these teams, but the the best team in the West all year. So I think they're playing with a chip on their shoulder and they're playing really good. Joker is, you know, he was my choice for MVP and, uh, you know, for the season. I, you know, he's, you put up numbers the way he's putting up. Who's guarding, who's guarding him on Phoenix? They really don't yeah. have anybody to, to guard him. And the ability to do what he does, and I think Bruce mentioned it before, without ever leaving the floor, apparently, is yeah. one of the most impressive things about this this uh, era of NBA basketball. To see a guy like that who only Brooke Lopez gets less vertical leap, I think, on his uh, jump <laughs> than close. Joker. It's, it's a tight one, but yeah. uh, it's been very impressive so far for Denver. Yeah, what yeah, I, know I think we'd have Jokic to is, go ahead. He doesn't, Dave. Ever, he doesn't ever seem to be forcing things. What's beautiful is, you know, he plays with the five guys on the court. You get open when you cut, I give you the ball. You don't, if I have a guy I can overpower on the post, I'll do that. I'll bring the ball up court. I'll throw the ball ahead. I mean, he's just two steps like on a chessboard ahead of what everybody else is doing, which allows him to be this phenomenal passer. I, I love watching him because you just see this guy who's in total control of his own game and how to make his teammates more efficient and effective on the court. Absolutely. And I'd love to see that vertical leap challenge there between the two. I think it'd be great to see how many credit cards you could slip underneath their feet when they jump. I think that's how we'd have to measure it there. Um, The one thing I will say about game two, and of course, you know, Chris Paul did get hurt in that game and, you know, really hasn't been himself all series is, you know, Jamal Murray went completely off in game one had over 30 points. Second game, he had 10 points on three of 15 shooting. And I think a lot of credit should go to Josh Okogie. He came in Mm -hmm. and took the defensive assignment on Jamal Murray. So if I'm a Suns fan, I've got to really believe that Devin Booker can obviously continue to step it up offensively along with KD and then run that offense on top of all that, which is not an easy task against one of the better defenses in the NBA and the the Denver Nuggets. But, you know, if Josh Okogie can continue to be disruptive to Jamal Murray, I think that's going to give them 
you know, a chance to stay in ball games. And if you can keep it that close down the stretch and you got Devin Booker and Kevin Durant on your side, mm-hmm. you're in pretty decent shape to, to, you know, to win a ball game. And that's really kind of what they have to go for uh, right now. Um, as we get to the second quarter here, let's take a quick look at the Eastern Conference playoff matchups. And we'll start with uh, the 76ers Celtics series, now all tied up at one apiece as the series heads to Philadelphia. The Celtics played with an edge on Wednesday night, which we didn't see in game one. And despite Embiid's return, the Celtics uh, obviously showed why they were one of the best teams in the NBA this year. And uh, Dave, if you got a chance to uh, check out that game, would very be very curious of what you thought about the Celtics bounce back in game two. Um, you know, I think I think the Celtics were upset with themselves. Uh, even I think Horford came out with a line that we, without Embiid, I think we didn't play as hard as we should have, or we we took our foot off the gas or something. Well, they certainly kept the pedal to the metal in in game yeah. two. I also thought Embiid did not look good coming back. You know, he'd been off for a while, but I don't know whether it was getting used to the brace he might be wearing or. He seemed to fall down a couple times, his footwork. He was just kind of off. Um, you know, Harden bails them out with an unbelievable performance the game before. And sometimes what can happen is I thought I thought Philadelphia played really free the first game. And by free, I mean Embiid's not here. We're going to be small a lot of the time. We're going to have to shoot well. We're going to have to be aggressive. And I don't think there was any hesitation when guys got shots. Melton hit a couple threes. You know, everybody else, Harden was playing more, obviously, offensively aggressive. I thought game two, there was some hesitation. I thought they passed up a couple shots on the perimeter, like looking to get it in, maybe to get Joel off, Joel off. And I think that hurt them overall. So I'm I'm waiting to see, will they come out with the renewed confidence? There's one other thing I'd like to mention, too, because sometimes the media can drive you a little bit crazy is they got on Missoula for ending up with Horford on Harden on that last shot, okay? If you watch the photo, the frame, just before Harden releases the shot, you can't, I can't imagine anybody defending that shot better. Go back and watch that stop frame. Horford is right there. He's on his left side. If his index finger was an inch longer, he blocks that shot because yeah. he's right there. Harden has like, you know, that much space to get that shot off and he gets it off. But Horford played terrific defense on that, you know, and I think when people go watch that, they'll kind of go, oh, man, he did. He really did. I was amazed um, Harden got the shot off because I thought Horford was right there in the action. But when I, I saw the picture, it was just unbelievable. Now, you mentioned coaching in the playoffs. Uh, wanted to get your opinion. Uh, how much of an impact is coaching once a team is in the playoffs? Is it possible for a rookie coach such as Joe Missoula to be in over his head in the, in the postseason, or are you not a believer in that concept? You know, I, I, I don't think it's so much over your head. Um, if you look at Coach Bud, Coach Bud has been in the playoffs a lot, and he probably made a couple mistakes yeah. down the stretch, so you couldn't have said he was in over his head and didn't know what to do. <laughs> Um, I think Joe's been there. He knows his players. He's been there a whole season with his players. He's been there as an assistant coach prior to that for a couple of years. Um, a lot of it is just deciding in the playoff game, in the heat of the moment, what do you think your team needs? And sometimes those, those choices work out. Sometimes they don't work out, but you don't even notice them. 
because your team stays in control or whatever comes out of a, a difficult part. I think if you looked at the difference between game one and game two, he obviously found whatever the words were or whatever the motivations were to make sure their team understand understood we have to come out and really play harder. You know, we can't we can't let this team up at all. And they were very successful doing that. So whatever was missing in game one, I think he found the magic words um, in game two. Yeah. And we'll be, obviously Bruce is going to be watching this. So try to keep it as nice as possible, but uh, <laughs> you know, what are you predicting here as this series shifts to the city of brotherly love? Well, uh, first things first, the one thing that was missing from the Celtics in game one that uh, happened in game two was the three pointer. They took almost twice as many threes uh, we commented about that on the last show that 26 threes for a team that that was their, that's their game. They were second in you know, percentage of field goal attempts that were threes. Uh, and that in game one, they took the lowest percentage in regular, in the game this season, regular season or playoffs. It was their lo- lowest. And they come back with 51 in the uh, game two. That was a big deal. Even though they shot, they shot just about the same from three point range in both games, but they scored twice as many points off three pointers and had a plus twenty one. Uh, they were plus forty two edge over the Sixers on three pointers, uh, points from three pointers. So that was a that was a big deal. Uh, they got out uh, to a quick start. Jalen Brown had been had a superstar in the first quarter of the, both games. The difference was he stayed active in the. Uh, rest of the game in game two in game one, he only took three more shots after the first quarter, which is still hard to fathom Uh, from the Phillies perspective. I totally agree with Dave. I think James Harden looked at game one as this is my kind of game. It all, it all falls on me. And he lived and he showed what he, what he did in Houston. He showed why he is who he is. I mean, that was just a really uh, impressive performance to carry a team offensively that needed it. And in game two, I, I agree. I think he was, um, first of all, his shot wasn't falling. So that, that really makes it a problem. Two for 12 in the field, that really makes uh, the rest of your night tough. But I don't know if deferring is the right word, but he was really, uh, he tried to you know make sure that Joel Embiid with the MVP was involved in the offense. And it just, you know, that offense works best, as great as Joel Embiid is. When James Harden is doing his thing and operating and playing as well as he can, it was the same way in Brooklyn. It's the same way in Houston. It's the same way in Philly. That offense is at its best when James Harden is, or most efficient when James Harden is playing great. And you can see the difference on and off the court. They are way more efficient when James Harden's on the court. Now his style, I, I could care. I don't like. I don't like the you know the ball handling. He I had I came up with a number. He was five for eight on threes. Uh, I think it was five for eight on threes when he dribbled seven or more times in game one. <laughs> they have that stat available. I swear I didn't look it up, look at the film. There is a NBA.com has a stat section where you can look silliness like that. In game two, it was it was something not even close. Um yeah. I think deferring or or getting Joel indeed involved that focus um, kind of took him out of a little bit. And if MD's not healthy, it's going to be tough. But now Boston has not exactly had a consistent, um, impressive run so far in this postseason. They've had moments like they had in game two. And 
then they've had moments against the Hawks where the Hawks look like they were in control. So this looks like a series that could be back and forth until Boston proves to me that they can deliver consistency. I mean, Jason Tatum, are you, you know, one for seven from the field right. on a game where you blow everybody out? I mean, you know, we they're going to need more than that from him if they want to win this series. Well, I think what I think what Michael has has now invented now is the new cheer that's going to happen in Philly. They're going to count the crowd's going to count to ten, and then you'll shoot whenever Harden has the ball. Yeah. It's a proven, valid analytic now. I really, yeah. I really hope I didn't come. They didn't figure this out by now with James Harden. I'm, I would hope Philly fans saw this before I did. <laughs> Well, well, now that they can't count Giannis's uh, seconds at the free throw line, maybe this is the new one. Since Giannis is out of the playoffs, we got to start counting Harden's dribbles. So I like that idea there, Dave. Now, the other series going on in the East is the Miami Heat and New York Knicks, as we talked about at the top of the show here. That's also tied up 1-1 with the series headed to South Beach. Obviously, in this one, Dave, injuries uh, have played uh, – a huge impact, obviously, Julius Randle missing the game one, returning and having a strong game two. And then, of course, Jimmy Butler. He's been tremendous all playoff, uh, all playoffs long, and, and now he's out uh, in game two, and, and, and the Heat dropped the game. So uh, what is your take going into game three, considering hopefully both guys will be back healthy and, and ready to go? Well, I like I – like- a couple things about the Knicks. They have they have two players who can create their own shots, and that's Randall and Jalen Brunson. You know, mm-hmm. Quigley, too, off the bench. But I think those two guys, Brunson had a great game, game two. He, he had a lousy game, game one. Randall didn't play. Butler doesn't play in game two, like you pointed out. I think they've got to have a solid Jimmy, and they've, they've got to get a decent game out of Lowry. I thought Lowry had a very nice game, the first game, 18 points, did, yeah. and then the second game kind of disappeared. Um, they've got to shoot well from threes. I, I think that's one thing to get around the Knicks defense. And, you know, you've got to hope that Duncan Robinson can find his, um, you know, his shot. Love's got to make some threes, which he used to be able to do. If they can open up from the perimeter, it opens up more things for some of the other guys because they're relying on, you know, guys like Vincent and Struss to, to get some points for him. But, you know, Jimmy's got to have a big game for them to have a chance of winning. Both teams are going to play hard. They're going to compete. Um, I would be surprised if this one at least has to go six, maybe seven even. If that's if Butler's healthy and both teams are healthy. Sure. And, Will B, I know that as a Knicks fan, you're always, uh, you know, expecting the worst and also planning what could what the good hope that could be coming. So where's your head at? What have you been preparing for mentally as the Knicks shift the series to Miami? I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I think, you know, they've proven during the season they can win down there. Uh, they had a great game. Uh, Julius Randle's best game of the season came down there where they had a nice comeback, and I think he had 43 and, and had the game-winning three uh, to win it uh, like a month ago or so. So, you know, they can go down there and win. Uh, I think it was really important – that Julius Randle played well in that game too, because yeah. he had not played well with the because either because of his ankle or whatever the reason. Or I'm assuming it was his ankle being you know being hurt or whatever. He just had not he did not play well in the uh, Cavs series and got benched in the fourth quarter a lot of times. Uh, Thibodeau is going with whatever works at the end of games. It doesn't. I don't think it matters uh, who 
who it is. He'll put you on the bench if he has a lineup that's working. Uh, yep. Hartenstein played a bulk of the, their comeback in the second half with Mitchell Robinson sitting on the bench. And then when he came back in, everybody couldn't understand why is Mitchell coming back in. Hartenstein, they were doing so well with them. Uh, they got back to offensive rebounding in game two, They, which was big for the Knicks. Second chance points and get just keeping possessions alive. That was what carried them all season, really. They were, I think, only the Rockets were better at offensive rebounding during the season than the Knicks, and so you saw that in uh, game in the first series. And Butler coming back healthy. This was really five days off, so this was uh, certainly a risk worth taking for uh, Miami. I, I I agree with it more than just because New York came out and won the game without <laughs> Butler in the lineup, but. Um, because of the the way the series is, we talked about five days off between games for Butler to get healthy. That's a big deal. And Dave mentioned how that Miami has to shoot threes. That's a that's a big if for Miami based on what they did during the season. The last year they led the league in three point shooting. This year they are bottom five, and right. there was a really big drop. It couldn't you know you really can't put a finger on it as to why, but they had a great series in Milwaukee shooting the ball. Now they can keep that going. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna win some games in this series, and and uh, if they can shoot like Dave said from the perimeter, they can win the series. I don't know if they can, based on what I saw during the season. Yeah, and I, I think I'm gonna learn my lesson with uh, my prediction of the Cavs in six in the first round, and say that uh, <laughs> I think the Knicks will go into Miami and win both games there, and uh, the the series will dramatically shift. Heading into Game Five, but uh, you're should a be wise a man, lot of fun. Rusk. <laughs> I appreciate that. You're the, that. There's a reason you're the host here. I, I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and with that, we've reached our halftime buzzer. We'll take a quick break and come with come back with you with a shortened passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Second half. And we're back with the start of the third quarter. And uh, Dave, this is going to be our GM half. So we're hoping you can put on your GM cap once again and uh, ask you some of the biggest questions uh, worth asking a front office executive expert. So um, first one for you here tonight is on uh, Ime Udoka taking over the reins as the new head coach of the Houston Rockets. And uh, was just curious, does this mean Houston you know, is continuing their rebuild or do you believe this sparks a shift in them trying to be competitive? Um, I think it's a continuation of development. Okay. Um, you know, very few teams go from, that I think they won 21 games. They go from 20 to like into the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. They've got a good young core that has shown some real promise. The two guards, 
uh, Green and Porter and Sangoon, the, the center, and the other center, Jabari Smith, center power yep. forward. So they have something to really build on. And I think one of the things that they had made clear to a lot of the candidates who went in for interviews that development was really an important part of this. And development, a lot of people think it's just getting guys to improve their basketball skills. It's really not. You have to build a foundation in other ways, too. And and a couple of the things when you talk about development is you're trying to develop your players to turn into professionals, to become uh, better teammates, to develop their work ethic better, to support their teammates, uh, to become more coachable. And Doc Rivers has always had a great line. He said, you're trying to teach them to get over themselves. Because a lot of times when they come in, they have a good year. They think they're just the cat's meow, you know. So yeah. they're going to have to develop those things, too, to become a better team, to build better chemistry and culture. And I think that was one of the reasons they liked Emmy. They thought, you know, he turned around that Celtic team. Essentially, they looked dead in the water halfway through the year. And he just kept doing what he, he wanted to do. And they bought in and they get to the to the finals. So I think they liked the fact that he was able to reach the players try and, you know, whatever he was telling them they were buying into, he was figuring a way to get them to all buy in. And I think they're counting on him to be able to do the same thing down there. All right. And um, we'll be definitely uh, feel free to chime in on this one after I ask Dave uh, the question regarding the next player. And that is, uh, Dave, what's your take on Kawhi Leonard these days? Obviously, he showed flat flashes of his true talent and greatness as the ultimate two-way player uh, early on in that first-round matchup with the Phoenix Suns. But obviously, this guy just can't be reliable. So having worked in front offices, can you give us an idea what the Clippers front office might be thinking at this point? Or you know, what would the feeling be like just knowing, I mean, you're kind of like, just crossing your fingers with this guy. Is there anything you're doing proactively or, you know, just what's the current state of the the Clippers and even just your own take on on the whole Kawhi Leonard situation with his health? Well, I I really feel bad for Kawhi because I I don't think the correct word is reliable. I mean, when he's played, he's played really well. He's had a serious injury in ACL. And most of the time in ACL takes – uh, somewhere around nine months physically to kind of heal when after they do the surgery and everything. And often sometimes three to six months after that mentally, because depending on how severe the accident was or the injury was, I don't know if you remember um, uh, uh, Tony, when we had him with the Clippers, uh, rather in Boston, I'm sorry, um, he came down on his leg. No one was around him dunking. It took him almost two years because mentally every time he drove in, he was trying to decide, oh, I got hurt last time I tried to dunk it. So maybe I should just try and lay it up while he was in midair. And he really struggled with it. But I feel bad for him. And, and the Clippers, the same thing. When, when, when I was there as a GM with Doc, Blake or Chris either got hurt together or singularly in almost every series we had. And it's so difficult to replace a player like that. And then you add in that, you know, Paul George had serious injuries, you know, the ulnar thing in his elbow. So it, it's like there's just been a, a a bad streak of injuries to them. I think I thought if they were healthy this year and Kawhi was able to play and Paul was, they were going to be right up there playing for the title somewhere or at least in the final four teams. Um, I don't know how you get around this as a GM because you know if he's healthy, you got two great players. 
And so the only thing I can think they're trying to do is they're trying to figure out is a is there a better way we can manage not just their minutes, but their recovery? Are we not doing something we should be doing to balance out things going on with their body? Do we need to do X, Y, or Z, different nutrient, whatever it is? Um, I think that's one of the things they're probably delving into now. But it, it's as frustrating for everybody on that team, including Kawhi and, and Paul George and the coaches and Steve Ballmer, certainly, that they haven't been able to be healthy. And you can even see this year, health has been such a big factor. Jimmy Butler sits out of game. Randall sits out of game. The effect, your best player or your top two players when they're elite, when they can't play, it changes your whole team. Hey, Dave, I was just curious. It, this is a uh, might end up being a nothing question, but as somebody with playoff experience or whatever, I was just curious about the playoff scheduling and how that, from your perspective, when you're, in, you know, on the staff or your GM, whatever, you know, we have a, a Knicks series that played on Tuesday, won't play again until Saturday. Right. We have the Warriors playing Sunday, then Tuesday, and now Thursday. Um, did that did that used to be a concern for you? Did that used to be something you, you would – be bothered by the, the inconsistency of the series. I understand. We all understand why it's done. It's done for TV. It's done to maximize, I guess. Right. But it can really take, uh, I don't want to say unfair, but it does make the inconsistency l- lends itself to uh, criticism, I guess, by by in some circles. Yeah, I think the difference is if, if you have guys who are injured, you don't mind having another day or two between a yeah. game. If let's say you won last night, you want to play again right away because you don't want to give that team as much time to make changes or adjustments and your guys are feeling confident they won. But yeah, if your team, like I said earlier, that Golden State came out of that Sacramento series, I think they would have loved another day or so off just to rest, relax, catch their breath, focus in now on the Lakers. The Lakers had a shorter series, had a little more time to focus in on Golden State. So I think it, uh, it depends on your vantage a point from who you are and how you're playing um, during the playoffs at that time. Certainly the Clippers, I think, would have liked more time off for Kawhi yeah. uh, and Paul George throughout the playoffs for the last couple of years. And speaking of time off, Dave, my next question is in regards to the Dallas Mavericks, who elected to go ahead and take an early time off at the end of this regular season as they purposely tanked and, you know, Knew they weren't going to be titled, uh, title contenders. Obviously, already got uh, a fine handed down and punishment by the league. Just wanted to kind of get your thoughts, having watched that happen from afar, and, and kind of just get your take on that. And, and do you have a problem with the decision that they made uh, to go ahead and do that? Oh, I definitely have a problem. I, I will tell you, years ago, if you were a team that was, quote, better off tanking near the end of the season, your front office people and your coach would never say that publicly. They might in a private meeting say, oh, if we lost this game, well, we get a better chance of the draft pick because we're not going anywhere anyway. We're not in the playoffs. OK, but in this instance, you have arguably one of the top three players in the league and Luca. OK, yeah. and you're basically saying to him, you know, what? we don't think we should play the last two games because we have a better analytical percentage of uh, keeping our 10th draft pick. Okay, even though that's not certain that it's going to end up with them. So we're just going to sit everybody down. 
uh, it's such a bad, it says so much about the ownership. It says so much about the, the, to the players that you don't really want to compete. You're, you're hoping you keep the 10th pick in the draft um, rather than let us go out and really develop that. One of those foundational pieces I was talking about becoming a professional is to go out and compete every night, you know, all that stuff. So I just thought it was bad for the league. I thought it was bad for Dallas. And it'll be interesting what happens in the future if you look back one, two, three years from now, if they can justify that in any way by having gotten a great player out of the draft or something. Hey, Dave, real quick. uh, You mentioned the 10th pick. The reason they obviously made this decision was to try and keep that from going to New York or whatever. Do you think a suitable punishment you know, the deterrent would be to not allow them to have that pick, or is that, yeah, is that I would going have, too far? I, I agree with you. I would have, I would have made that that punishment more severe. I would have taken away that pick. Um, they wouldn't have been able to get that pick. Um, the fine was big, but I mean, you know, the you allowed them to keep what they tanked for, or at least the chance at that. And I would have rather seen the league said, well, after this this maneuver that you pulled there's no chance you're going to get that pick. Because I think, yeah, I agree. Because I thought when it happened, I mentioned on this show, I think if you're going to have a, pun- a penalty or punishment, it should be serve as a deterrent for doing such a move. And I think taking that pick away, what they were trying to do would have solved, I don't know if it would solved the problem. It was uh, been a deterrent for future decisions like this. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that one. Awesome. And um, for our fourth quarter, Dave, just want to do some quicker, rapid fire questions with you. And so what I've got is a few questions here, and I'll ask you to give me a scale one to 10 on how surprising the following scenarios would be, with 10 being most surprising. So first question here on a scale one to 10, how surprised would you be if the New York Knicks made an NBA Finals appearance this season? Uh, Three. Okay. What about you, World B? Oh, uh, it'd be a one. I mean, uh, <laughs> it's going to happen. Nixon yeah. three. I love it. All right. And uh, oh, wait, question. wait, wait, hold on. I I misunderstood. I think you're saying 10 is most surprised. Yes. Oh, then I, I would like to change mine to eight. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. Okay. Wait a minute. Well, in that case, no, I'll keep mine <laughs> as a one. <laughs> one. All right. And uh, second I'd question here. Surprised. On a scale of 1 to 10, how surprised would you be if the Los Angeles Lakers win the NBA Finals this season? Uh, that, that You know, that has a realm of possibility. I'd probably put that at a 5. Okay. What about you, World B? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably be right around there. Uh, before the playoffs started, it'd probably be uh, very high as a, on the surprise meter. But the way things are shaping up in the postseason and the way the Lakers are playing – yeah, it's definitely a, a – it's more than just a possibility. It's It could actually happen. And lastly here, on a scale of 1 to 10, how surprised would you be if Atlanta ultimately traded Trey Young this summer? You know, that's an interesting one because I don't know if um, he and the, the new coach have had enough time to figure out if he can play the way he wants them to. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it happened the following year, if it's not working for them at some point, whether it's the trade deadline or something, but I don't know that it would be over this summer unless they really could get back some package. And I don't know what Trey would bring you that, that would, you know, offset some of his skills. So I, I would think next year might be more logical. 
Okay. Will B? I would put that as about a three or a four. I agree. I don't think, as much as I'm not a fan of Trey Young and his game, um, I think with a new coach and that backcourt, I think you need, uh, it's only fair to, unless, unless Quinn Starr doesn't want him there. <laughs> if he's already made that decision, then yeah, that's, you know, true too. <laughs> that's, that's the end of that. Uh, but that being said, uh, Quinn Starr walked into a situation where I would assume he wants as much talent as he can have. And like Dave said, unless he gets a lot of talent in return, yeah, who are you going to find better than those two in the backcourt? Yeah. I mean, if I could be a fly on the wall for any end of season uh, one-on-one uh, player exit interview, that would have been the one this year is Trey Young's exit interview from the Atlanta Hawks. But uh, appreciate you guys having some fun with me there for our fourth quarter. Let's go ahead and get into our final thoughts. And World B, I'll start with you. Uh, thank you, Ross. Uh, the Most Valuable Player Award was announced this week with uh, 76ers Joel Indeed picking up his first MVP after being runner-up in back-to-back years. Among the many noteworthy items connected with Embiid's honor, this marked the fifth consecutive season an international player has won this award. While the debate seems to continue even after this announcement, with many out there still campaigning for Giannis or the Joker, I took a moment to give this race some MVP a little bit of thought, and I came around to the notion that there has never been a time in the history of this league, in my opinion, where there has been so much talent on the court on any given night. I mean, you look at the series that we have right now going on, there are future Hall of Famers competing in the 76ers Celtics series, the Lakers Warriors series, and the Suns and Nuggets series. The Heat Knicks series is probably one without a clear cut Hall of Fame uh, player in the mix, although Jimmy Butler is certainly on that path, the way things are going, I would say, uh, to receiving such an honor. While fans can question whether this era's brand of NBA is better than previous decades, there can be no denying, in my opinion, thanks in large part to the emergence of talent worldwide, that this league has never seen so many talented players. Well said there. Uh, Dave, you got a final thought for us here tonight? Yeah, and mine's probably a little different than than the playoffs and and, uh, some of the things going on. Um, I think if you have a chance, you should watch Steph Curry. Okay. This guy is just an amazing player on so many different levels. Uh, not only has he changed the game with his shooting ability, his three-point ability, his ball handling ability, but I think kids that are now 10, 11, 12, who've been watching him now realize they don't have to be six, seven, you know, 215 pounds to succeed right. in the league. And all they have to do is become a great shooter and a great ball handler. Um, he's, he's just something, I mean, he's what, 35, I think you're turning 35. I don't know how much longer he ends up playing, but you should really watch him and appreciate him. I know you guys saw in the last Sacramento game when he started dribbling around everybody, you know, and guys were diving at him and then he finally turned around and he came in for the lap. I was reminded of it as a kid when I saw the the Globetrotters perform and Marcus Haynes used to get on the floor dribbling and guys were trying to dive on it and steal the ball from him. And then he'd get up and make a layup or something. I mean, it just, I just started laughing in my house because, and the thing I love about him is he enjoys the game. You see him smiling on the court. You see him laughing on the court. Um, This is just a wonderful challenge. And like with Joker, he's, He's two, three steps ahead of everybody mentally while he's playing. It's a perfect mind meld 
with his physical talent. So when you get a chance, man, tune in because he's really, really special. No denying that. And uh, great breakdown there as far as how much fun he has out there as well. Um, as for my final thought, uh, I want to discuss uh, team owner Matt Ishbia and the Phoenix Suns announcing last week that they were going to make Suns games available to all fans by broadcasting their games live on free television. Not only is this a big time move for a new owner looking to get a great approval, great early approval rating for the fans, but this could be the first gigantic rare step taken by any professional sports team to eliminate local blackouts uh, that often occur locally. And uh, Ishbi essentially stated that he's comfortable losing the TV ad revenue and believes that by making all Suns home games available to every fan, it should increase engagement, boost the popularity and interest of both the team and the Suns players, and will make Phoenix an even more attractive free agent destination uh, with the popularity. And and that, of course, you know, the, then of course the money would also follow with the increased fan interest through ticket sales, merchandise sales, and you name it. So, Matt Ishbia, I certainly applaud the effort. I. I Enjoy the leap of the leap of faith into unknown territory. I know the Valley has been very excited about this with the issue we've had going on with trying to watch Suns games on home televisions. Uh, it's been pretty much impossible unless you have a, a certain app. And, uh, you know, I most importantly tend to agree with his projections on the benefits that will follow along with this in time with the uh, the increased engagement of players and interest in, in, in the team and, and how all the money will come in the long run. So hopefully this is a big wake up call to other team owners and more media outlets alike to find a way to make games available to the local markets for the fans. And especially as Dave just pointed out in the, uh, with Steph Curry, hopefully these kids can watch their, their, their heroes play on a night to night basis and not be blacked out from watching the local team. So, so far I've been very impressed with Matt Ishbia since taking over in the Valley and definitely commend him on uh, this effort moving forward. And with that, uh, Dave, we want to thank you for once again joining us here on tonight's show. We'd love to have you back, and I'm sure Bruce would like to be back next time we have you on. But really want to appreciate you for coming on and kind of sharing your insights on what you've been seeing so far this playoffs and what we can maybe expect this offseason. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed talking with you. Awesome. Thank you, Dave. And uh, with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Have a great weekend, everybody.